welcome to Catholic Stuff You Should Know, a J10 initiative. Hello, welcome to Catholic Stuff You Should Know. This is Father Sean. With Jacob Machado. <laughs> this is take two. We totally messed up the intro before, so sorry yeah. if that was like too formal. We actually, uh, we got, what, 15 seconds in and actually said, let's redo this. Yeah. Well, and that's because Jacob called me Father Mike. I had already called Father Sean Father Mike in 15 seconds. I am really good at this. Me too. Something <laughs> like that. Well, it's going to be with you, Jacob. You as well. <clears throat> we haven't uh, recorded together in a while. Yeah, probably uh, like a cycle of... Four weeks or whatever. Six yeah. weeks. Six week cycle. Six week cycle, but we always record in advance. Like this That's one's true. coming out in two weeks, so <clears throat> so it's hard to know. But I see you a lot, though. I live here at Our Lady of Lords. You are the parochial vicar here at Our Lady of Lords. One of them. We just had yes, one of the <laughs> one of the parochial vicars here. Uh, we just had lunch uh, with the pastor, Father Brian. That's right. So Yeah, Jacob is assigned to the parish right now on Sundays for his seminary postulate, but hopefully he remains assigned. It's hard to know because Jacob is about to become Deacon Jacob. Right now he is Deacon-elect Jacob. Which means I have no rights, responsibilities, or privileges as a cleric, but I will soon have rights, responsibilities, and privileges as a cleric. And one of those responsibilities is to go wherever I am sent. That's right. (laughs) Uh, I really hope you stay here at least until May, but but we'll see. I think God's that's providence. Generally, the plan. We'll find out. We'll find out. I don't know if Father Angel listens to this, but Father Angel, vicar for <laughs> clergy, please let Jacob stay <laughs> at Our Lady of Lords through May. That's right. Yeah, you'll have rights and r- privileges. One of your privileges will be to preach. I'm going to yes. make you preach all my homilies. You got it. I think uh, people are asking for that already. So, they have. Um, they have. They, tired say, of they call Sean. the office and they're like, hey, when's Father Brian preaching? And we're like, so, like, this time, this time. And they're like, when's Father Sean preaching? All right, I'll be sure to avoid those masses. <laughs> That's not true at all. Uh, most people ask me if I'm nervous to be coming to Our Lady of Lords as a deacon to preach with these fine uh, preachers, Father Vitold, Father Sean, Father Brian. So. I'm not. I'm not nervous at all. Don't be nervous. They don't intimidate me. That's good. Uh, Father Brian has trained Our Lady of Lords to uh, expect longer homilies and expect um, kind of uh, more uh, technical or theologically advanced or just like uh, homilies with more depth is probably the best way to phrase that. Well, so, now I'm nervous. No, no, no. Don't be nervous. My point is <laughs> uh, there's a beauty to being able to prep for a homily well. I guess that's my point. You know, when you do preach, prep well. No, I'm excited. I um, it will be a bit of a stretch for me to go more than eight or ten minutes. Yeah, I don't so think we'll find out if that happens or not. I've struggled with that too. I'll um, probably stay at eight or ten minutes. I think that's fine. That's what Pope Francis says. <laughs> so, well, in that case, I'm going to go three or thirty. There you go. Just kidding. Um, that yeah, that makes me sound like I'm totally po- anti Pope Francis and everything. No. Um, I am digging myself a hole here, Father Sean. Yeah, so anyways... I'm going to preach for eight or ten minutes because it's a great preaching time. No, this is actually a good question because one of the things that someone, a priest told me, he said, in order to not cause division between you and your pastor, you ought to preach the length of your pastor. And that was one of the best Hmm. advices I got as a newly ordained. Uh, Sure, there's varying opinions of what that could mean or be, uh, but his experience when he was a, a parochial vicar in his first assignment he would preach about three to four minutes on Sundays. And in his defense, he was a young priest and he said, I just don't know what to say. I don't know my people. I was brand new. And 
his pastor would preach about 15 to 20 minutes. And so at the parish picnic, uh, this sweet little lady came up and uh, these two priests were talking. And this sweet little lady said, you know, uh, Father Pastor, you could learn a few things from the parochial vicar here. Uh, he only preaches four minutes. He doesn't go nearly as long as you. He's so much better than you. You could learn a few things from him. And uh, of course, uh, it's comical now, but in the moment, that was like really awkward for him. And he, he learned in that moment, I ought to try to preach the length of my pastor. So, because yeah. that's what people are used to. That's what people expect. And well, and on the other side, without being spoken, I'm sure there were some people that loved the longer homilies that when he wrapped up at four minutes, he's like, that's all we get. Mm-hmm. So I think there's wisdom there with just having a, um, there's wisdom. A, a, I think a unified, it's a rule of thumb. A, kind of a unified parish experience yeah. um, is good. And one of the things that actually reading Pope Francis's directives on preaching, um, he talks about the need to actually prepare well for homilies. Mm-hmm. He's like, nobody wants to hear you ramble on for 20 minutes if you've prepared nothing. Right. Um, so he said, prepare eight to 10 minutes well mm-hmm. and give your people something that's good. And that's what I hope to do. So I'm on board. I'm on board. Let's go. You're going to make a great deacon and an even better priest. So we'll see. We'll see. <laughs> no, it's exciting. Yeah. We're, we're, we're yeah. excited for it. Is. I, it's five. Well, when this podcast comes out, it'll be a month, a month from, yeah, just when this podcast comes out. So yeah. it's exciting. I am honestly just ready to be kind of on the other side and in the life doing the deacon thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. Deacon year is a great year. As you've probably heard, it's it's also challenging because you're basically full-time at the seminary, full-time at the parish. Uh, you have a life, you have a foot in both worlds and, and you're stretched in both ways. You don't really want to be in seminary anymore because you want to be a priest, uh, but you don't really want to be in the parish because you're only kind of there on Sundays and it's hard to get to know people. So it's kind of this weird, weird thing, but it's, it's, it's such a gift, excuse me, such a gift to be uh, ordained and yeah, we're praying for you. Thank you. But anyways, that's not what this podcast is about. I have one other topic of banter. Oh, please. Last time I I was with you. uh, So when we recorded a few uh, months ago, we recorded on um, the plan of life Yes. That podcast. That and we, was, well, we, yeah. we talked for like a half hour or whatever it was about the James Webb telescope. <laughs> and then Archbishop texted me after that came out and he goes, I didn't know Jacob was such an expert in astronomy. <laughs> <laughs> Not an expert. Um, so, <laughs> a, a dabble, a hobby in many things. And I was like so terrified. I'm like, oh no, Archbishop listens to Catholic stuff. <laughs> I was like, what? yeah. I was like, I hope I don't say anything that's like totally offensive. Can I share, I might've shared this on the podcast already, but, uh, I got to seminary and I, one lunch just happened to sit next to Archbishop because he was joining us for lunch that day. And I was so nervous that I was going to say something dumb that I said nothing for the entire lunch, which (laughs) is really hard for me to do. I'm a talker. You are a talker. And then, uh, not three or four days later, he's joining us for lunch again. And I happen to be at the table with him again. Yes. And I'm sitting next to Archbishop, and I'm feeling super awkward. And I finally just say, you know what, Archbishop? I'm really nervous to talk because I'm afraid of saying something dumb. And he just looks at me with a big grin, and he goes, of course you're going to say something dumb. And I'll let (laughs) you know. But that's okay. (laughs) There you go. And then it was like, oh, I can actually talk to Archbishop. This is cool. That's right. So Archbishop, you can text us. When we say something <laughs> dumb on this podcast. Um, but yeah, so the James Webb Telescope, right? <clears throat> I was thinking about this with regards to 
I don't know if you saw recently the the recent pictures they released again, but it's like it's so crazy, like the way technology develops. And you're also a camera guy, right? You used to take photography and, yep. and videography and yep, stuff. Still hobbying, used to be paid for it. But I was reading the way they took this this photo, right? There's like five different cameras on probably even more than that, on the James Webb telescope. And like one's infrared camera, one's this type of camera, one's this type of camera. And the way they took the picture of this galaxy is they overlaid those five different images together in the different color spectrums or however that all works. And it came out this beautiful, beautiful image. But what's so cool is like, we don't, we can't see that with the naked eye. You have to have these uh, cameras that can see the different um, light spectrums, right? I just thought that was super fascinating. The the um the way that technology has developed so that we can actually see better yeah there's um do you think in heaven we'll be able to see infrared i don't know probably not i think so maybe (laughs) i know it's weird because because we have been given the senses that we have uh which are the senses proper to a rational being to come to know and love god um in a way proper for us right um we don't have the same senses of uh even a dog has you know limited or i think they're mostly black and white Mm -hmm. um colorblind and then you know bats have terrible vision but use echolocation Mm -hmm. you have fish that have these amazing abilities to sense different pressure in the water um or kind of smell or taste um you know the blood or whatever and so each creature has senses for their, um, I guess, for their their fullness, for their fulfillment as they are. And so we have the senses uh, fitting to a rational being, a human being. Um, But with that, we're able to create, um, kind of, I guess, sub-create, but we're able to advance technologically to allow our eye to see farther Mm. or in different spectrums and then interpret it how we have. And so... Yeah, I don't know if we would be able to see the the rest of the spectrum. I don't know what that would look like in a glorified body. But I think there's something really cool about the fact that we do have um, the ability to innovate and create technologically so as to come to understand and see more Mm. uh, deeply into the universe or into the, you know, the microscopic level uh, of creation. Um, And... Yeah, there's so much to still explore, even like in the oceans here on Earth, you mm-hmm. know, uh, that we can plunge into because of being rational, creative beings. Mm. Um, yeah, it's super cool. And I think the more that we study the, <clears throat> the, the world, like the more smart we get with regards to technology, as you mentioned, Jacob, uh, we still don't know how big the universe is. And we still don't know how small the p- smallest particle, particle in the world is. Uh, we thought it was the atom, and then they found those. Um, I can't remember what they're called. Quarks. Quartz, yeah, and uh, Qu- quarks, not quarks, quarks, quarks. Thank you. <laughs> um, uh, right, but but just think about that. Like, God loves you. He knows how many hairs are on your head. He numbers, you know, all of that. He he knit you together in your mother's womb, and yet the the universe, the world, is so vast and so expansive but yet it's so tiny as well. Like you're made up of so many, you know, millions of different atoms and, and cells and whatnot. It's just mind boggling to think about. Yeah. That you have as many parts or more than the universe, mm. um, that your brain, there's something amazing about 
the human brain, which is connected to the human intellect. The intellect is a spiritual power, not, um, not material, right. that is receives via our sense apprehensions, um, images and, and sense and everything else. But the intellect is able to take all of that in uh, to, to absorb it, to uh, have an imprint of the world that we can remember. And the intellect, being the spiritual faculty of our soul, is actually able to effectively uh, or has the ability to take in all of the universe. So in a weird way, we can, who are part of this universe, in kind of the material side, in the spiritual side, can take the universe into us Mm. uh, in knowledge and apprehension, which is, I think, mind-blowing and super cool. I think there's a risk, though, with our advancing in technology where we think that we can know everything via technological means because the advancements of technology in the last 200 years have been incredible. I mean, from from having horse-drawn carriages to landing on the moon was a very short period of time in human history. Um, so it's incredible. And with that comes this sense of, technology will save us and we will come to know everything and we'll be able to like automate the best society ever and all these things. And the reality is, is that's not really the case because their means, their tools, their ways of doing things. Um, and you still have freedom and choice, which means you have to have virtue in implementing technology. Mm. Um, not all technology or use of technology is good. You know, we've come to create the atom bomb, but we don't know if it's good to use it or not. Mm-hmm. It's not. Right. <laughs> we shouldn't, mm-hmm. you know. Um, yeah, technology will say, look at what we can do. Philosophy has to say, should we be doing this, though? Yeah. And um, I think, too, it's it's like technology, even our, our means of, we're peering into the universe, right? And there's some, the way we're looking at light shift uh, even with the James Webb Telescope, the way we're looking at light shift in galaxies and trying to situate how far they are from us and how, quote-unquote, young they are, um, these measurements and the way that we're measuring them are not lining up with our measurements of the cosmic microwave background, which is the residual of the Big Bang um, that kind of has seemingly kind of steady, constant rate uh, that we can measure. And since those things aren't lining up right now, there's like a quote-unquote crisis in cosmology because, oh, well, what, when is it? Did it come? Was there a beginning? Is it perpetual? You know, type of these questions are going on. And uh, one of the best analogies for, for the scientific worldview, uh, that's scientism and why it's, it's wrong, is our technology can measure and detect the universe. Um, it can't detect outside of the universe or what created or caused the universe. So if you're looking for the first cause, if you're looking for God or any side of cause that's outside of the universe, it's like looking for uh, something that's plastic with a metal detector. The metal detector will measure metal and it will detect metal incredibly well. And you can pump it up to, you know, incredible sensitivity and say, oh yeah, there's definitely metal there. Um, but if you're looking for something that's not metal, that tool is going to be useless. Mm. And so to science, the scientific method itself uh, is measuring causality within the universe, but it can't measure God who's mm-hmm. outside of the universe, yep. right? So 
technology will never solve the question of is there God or not. Yep. Yeah, that's Even right. though and the more I, the, I look at it, it's like the more and more it seems clear that there's clearly a creator. Mm-hmm. But that's me. <laughs> not everybody draws the same conclusion. Sure, no, but I think it's the right conclusion. And yeah, I mean, maybe we could podcast on that some other time. But right, I think uh, Gronsky used to always say, uh, no machine has ever made an advancement in contemplation, right? So no mm-hmm. machine can ever help you contemplate God better. Uh, because that's not like it's, it's the anima technica vacua. Right. But, but anyways, uh, right. <laughs> there's so much here, but, but the reason why I was thinking of the James Webb telescope and specifically astronomy, right. Cause today is the feast of uh, the, epiphany, the epiphany. Right. And so the magi, what did the magi do? They saw a star. They knew how to interpret the signs of the heavens and, uh, having the prophecies, I think of Daniel, they're like, Oh, this was, a, this was a thing that was going to happen over for the Israelites in Jerusalem. We should need to go check it out. That's right. So they they think, followed the star. They followed star, right? The signs in the sky. So they're, they're kind of more astrologers in that sense. They were looking for signs, which astrology is not, not good. I'm not you know, condoning <laughs> it or whatever. Uh, astronomy is very, very profound, though, to study the heavens, to study the stars in, to, in the sky. Uh, my, my pastor, Father Brian, when he teaches RCIA, he likes to say uh, in one of the first classes that uh, artificial light was kind of the the rise to the birth of atheism, at least atheism as we know it today, the kind of popular atheism, because man no longer looks to the stars, to the heavens, to guide us, to to you know the moon, the stars uh, for for light, and just to see the profundity of it. Right when you look up, especially when you're in the back country, you go camping. I remember Jacob a few years ago being in Telluride with you and uh camping out and then uh we set up that camera for a nice you know starlight shot there were so many stars that we could see more than we could even see with our eye exactly um because right that's a good point when you let in the aperture the whatever it's called in the camera (laughs) basically right keep going (laughs) um it allows for more for more and more light to come in you know and so you actually see more more stars when you've developed the photo than with your naked eye but yeah, man no longer looks to the heavens. We look inward. We look down. We have artificial light. We look at our uh, TVs. We look at our phones. Uh, artificial light as opposed to the true light. So epiphany. Okay. So I was just thinking about that with uh, the James Webb Telescope with astronomy and, and the heavens. And, you know, so look at the stars. Yeah, go look at the stars. I like it. Yeah, we don't... Um, we We create our light, which has made us incredibly efficient, we can be hyper productive all the time, um, and I I don't want to say that that's like inherently bad. Um, I benefit from all of these technological advancements and light and all these things uh, in ways that I probably don't even know of. Um, so I don't want. It's not like I don't want to go back to the 1100s, um, but at the same time, we need to know what we are at the risk of losing, and. Even culturally, um, there's a move to have protected dark sky locations so that at least you could get out to see, (laughs) you know, the stars. Um, Yeah, national parks and whatnot. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. So anyways, uh, happy epiphany. By the time this comes out, the epiphany has already passed because today is the epiphany. Uh, We will be squarely in ordinary time again, right? That's right. That is right. Um, Yeah, because tomorrow is the baptism of the Lord and then Tuesday begins ordinary time. <clears throat> um, so happy epiphany, uh, happy stargazing. May you continue to, 
to look at the stars. Um, oh, it sounds like we're done with the podcast. No, right. no, 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 no. Is, oh, <clears throat> no, 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 no. Sorry. What I, <laughs> what I want to talk about today, Jacob, is actually I want to talk about you because you're about to be ordained, which is super exciting. And um, yeah, when I got ordained a deacon, <clears throat> it was right before the lockdown. So it was just like, it was a lot of joy, a lot of excitement. Uh, and then it was like, you know, so. Uh, you get but, two people at your ordination. That's right. Well, yeah, priestly ordination felt that way. But yeah, diaconate was right before everything. Oh, that's right. It was right before. Mm-hmm. It was like three weeks before. But um, it, one of the, actually the beautiful meditations with that was, uh, I'm not ordained for like, practical reasons per se right it's it's a mark of uh, an ontological change of your soul uh you're ordained because god's calling you and sure you're ordained for the people uh but it's not just practical reasons that makes you you know a deacon or whatever right but but anyways the heart of what the question i want to get to today is this i've been having a lot of people who ask me particularly mothers who say things like what do i need to do for my son to be a priest and I'm sure you've been over to family's houses where like, tell me your vocation story. I want my kids to hear this mm-hmm. so that they can also be open to, to the possibility of a vocation, which is great. We need more priests uh, and many are called, right? But, but few actually follow the call. Um, Scott Hahn has that book, right? Many are called, few are chosen and uh, about discernment. How do we discern? And, uh, but essentially, like I look at uh, your family, I know your family takes you know vocation seriously. Uh, a lot of your uh, family and siblings, and then friends uh, in the area that you grew up with, a lot of them have have taken vocation very seriously, you know, and have discerned consecration in some form. I mean, what are your thoughts on that? I think, what are your thoughts on like how do you have a family uh, be open to the possibility of discerning a vocation? Yeah. Um, before we get into any practicals, I, I'd situate this with um, vocation comes from the root word vocare, which means to call, right? So a vocation is a calling, a calling out. Mm-hmm. Um, it's an invitation and a gift, and not everybody is called uh, to the same state of life, to the same vocation, to the same... Um, way to exercise the pre- like primordial vocation of the Christian, which is holiness. Every Christian in their baptism is to be priest, prophet, and king in Jesus Christ to glorify God and to get to heaven and get as many people there with them. And that doesn't change whether you're single, married, religious, or a priest, right? So the Christian life is the first and foremost call in our lives as Christians. Hmm. Um, So before anything else, we need to encourage and create an environment for our children and almost more importantly ourselves uh, because we witness and people look up to us. I mean, I even see it when I'm serving here at Mass. It's like the way that I act as a seminarian— affects the way these young men who are serving will act around serving, around the altar, you know. Um, our, our children look up to uh, their parents and learn from them in ways that they don't even know. And so the principal thing to uh, encourage any sort of vocation in your, in your 
children is to live a Christian life yourself, to love your spouse um, as Christ loves the church. To, to that in this way, we show true Christian love uh, to our children in the home, and that's why we talk about the home being the first seminary or the home being the the domestic church. You know, mm-hmm. all analogous; they're not the same. They share in part, but they have difference. And so, with that, uh, I just want to situate. Your child's destiny is not wrapped up in a particular vocation per se. Now, God invites us into different states of life and different vocations, and um, that will help us reach our fulfillment in the Christian life. Um, There's a sense when, you know, when somebody is married and now has this clear vision of this is my wife, this is my husband. this is my mission in life now that clarifies and and shapes and and kind of puts the the bumpers around how you love in a way that you can love more same thing with the priesthood where a man becomes a priest he is supposed to now live with priestly love and we receive pastoral charity in ordination which means loving in a new way in a different way uh, and so being faithful to that we enter into our vocational life. Mm. And and that is to fulfill our Christian life. And so we will be fulfilled, we'll be sanctified in that, if we if we receive it and live it well. And because of that, you can talk to somebody who's like, oh, it's, I mean, yeah, of course I was made for this. Mm. There's a sense of I was being made, because you're discovering who you are, and God did invite you into this vocation. Now, as far as particularly priesthood or religious life, I think it was Fulton Sheen. I can't, I was trying to find the quote here, but I can't remember... If it was him or, or somebody else, but he said, if you could see how many religious vocations God was offering, mm. like ribbons hanging from the sky, uh, you would be amazed. But oh, how few reach up to take it. Mm. Um, so I think, you know, we talk about a, a vocations crisis or a vocation shortage, um, and there's, there's truth in that. Um, it'd be nice to have more priests, but God is offering, so we need to be encouraging the openness to receive. Mm-hmm. But one of the foolish, most foolish things I think we could do would be encourage or, in a sense, force somebody into thinking they're supposed to be a priest if they're not actually being called. Because um, I might get in trouble for saying this, but <laughs> a trap that I think parents can fall into is seeing their children as their own project. Mm-hmm. And if somebody is seeing their child as their own project, what they want their child to be is for themselves, not for the child. Mm -hmm. And you can see this in secular ways. You can see my child needs to be a doctor or a lawyer because it's prestigious, or my child needs to make X amount of money to help the family because he's going to help us all get out of, you know, a tough situation or poverty. Well, those aren't bad things in themselves but it's a project that is being imposed upon the child now. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't think that's healthy or effective for that child. And I think resentments and resistance will ar- arise if a child feels forced into something. And so when in, in the case of the priesthood, um, encouraging your son to be a priest or your daughter to be religious um, cannot take a sense of, I want this for them, therefore I need to push them into it. Mm. Now, how do we encourage vocations and young people then 
is creating a religious experience, a religious environment where yeah, culture. Uh, it's open, it's free. Uh, they see the parents living it and loving it, not living it and like white knuckling the Christian life. I have to do this. This is the way. But like the the depth of the Christian life is supposed to stir us to greater, greater love for God so that you know, living the Christian life is better than not living the Christian life. It's not just about heaven in the future because I hung on long enough. The kingdom of heaven is at hand, right? We're baptized into the family of God. We're living, in a way, heaven now. Mm-hmm. Now, that doesn't mean we aren't experiencing struggling, suffering, uh, you know, strife, but we, we need to realize that the, the Christian life is beautiful now Mm -hmm. as well and then having this environment having this culture i think we can encourage children then to respond to a christian life to desire a christian uh, discernment Mm -hmm. which will then lead them to say yes to christ when he invites yeah good yeah i can see why uh i don't i should say this i can't see why you were so quiet around the bishop that was that was very long-winded and good (laughs) Um, so yeah, thanks for sharing all that. And, uh, right. One of the examples you gave, it makes me think of like little league baseball growing up, which I'm sure this was the case for you, (laughs) Jacob, but, um, right. Who are, who's more intense on the field? Is it, uh, or in the area, is it the, the players playing or is it the parents, right? It's always the parents who are like getting kicked out. And when I was playing hockey, I remember sometimes the refs would, uh, you know, get really frustrated with parents like yelling on the uh out to the ice of just like how terrible the refs are and that's like a horrible example for for the kids obviously but it's like no 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 let your kids be kids <laughs> teach them virtue but uh you're not trying you don't need to live vicariously through your kids but but anyways um i love centering the conversation around right and this is vatican too that the primary vocation in everyone is to hold to towards holiness to holiness uh, that's first and foremost. We're called to be holy. We're called to be saints. That should be number one for you as parents to your children. I want my son, I want my daughter to become holy, to become a saint, to go to heaven. Recently, I was talking with uh, a family and, um, right, and, and it's the same thing as you were hinting at of uh, like mom and dad, like we would love for you to be a nun. We would love for you to be a nun. The parents just very clearly said to their daughter, they said, we want you to go to heaven. And whatever means that that happens, we're okay with that. Yeah. Currently, this, this person's a little sick. And so it has to do with like, uh, right, part of your, your marriage wedding vow is, um, and in the prayers is, I want to see my children's children. Mm-hmm. And uh, maybe, maybe, uh, right, maybe children or maybe parents have to bury their child sometimes, but if that would if that's what gets them to heaven praise god like we want our children to go to heaven so first and foremost we're looking at families who can do things in order to have a, a culture a family life uh in order to um have that openness towards holiness have that openness towards religion have that openness towards that and the two tragedies of course would be uh families that um for whatever reason, the kids step away from the faith. And one of the biggest tragedies and sufferings of um, parents, you know, that come to the priests and they say, uh, my children no longer practice the faith. And ergo now my grandchildren don't practice the faith. 
that's one of the biggest sufferings for people. Did I fail as a parent? And mm -hmm. I think that's a very honest question. And uh, to be very clear, no, you did not fail as a parent. Um, are there things you could have done differently? Sure. We all have 2020 hindsight. We all look back, but you can't say I failed as a parent. You, you did a very good job as a parent. I'm sure, uh, there, would there be things you could do different? Sure. But that doesn't, you can't change, change yeah. that now. Yeah. And we all, we all fail. I mean, I am going to fail probably within half an hour of being a deacon and hmm. being a deacon. Sure. Like I'm just, I will. Um, but will I, will I repent? Will I ask forgiveness? Will I be humble enough to grow, to repent, to, to turn to God again and again and again? And then when people fail me, will I be humble enough to forgive? Mm. And I think those are two lessons that are invaluable in the family. Yep. Um, yeah, before, before we get there, I just want to finish that thought, oh, though. Sorry. I think there's like two, there's two ways in which the, the two failings, right? And one would be, um, right, the kids who kind of fall away or, or families that kind of fall away and uh, freedom is real. So we can't necessarily control that. But then the opposite side, I think is sometimes uh, we create these like uber weird cultures and uh, religious experiences or like religious feelings uh, that become so disconnected from reality that people aren't able to dialogue with the world anymore. Mm -hmm. And sure, that person might be open to a vocation, but they don't have, they have no humanity because it's so strange and unique and, and weird. Uh, we need authentic families who are living in the world, but aren't of it. Go and play sports, go and participate in things. Yes, keep Sunday holy, live authentic humanity so that you can live authentic holiness. Yeah. And I think uh, Gaudi Mitzpah's 22 um, says Jesus Christ reveals man fully to himself. So it's, it's learning from the humanity of Jesus Christ, how to live our humanity. Mm. And so we, we imitate Christ, we pursue, um, him and that transforms our own humanity and we become more human. Um, and I think a big thing that he does, I mean, he proclaims, the love and the mercy and the unity of him and the father. I have come to share what I see the father doing. Um, and I think, yeah, I think a huge attack on our families is just division. Uh, it's a, it's a sadness, my generation, our generation, um, maybe 10 years older than us to us. There's, I've really seen a big push of distancing ourselves from our parents, um, in a, in a, kind of a at least professed self-protective way like oh it's so bad my relationship with my parents that I have to create these distances and um and there might be real like struggles with with the parents um but the solution then is just cutting them off and I don't think that's true mm -mm, yeah. um and then on the other side you know parents can can try and make their child their own project. And so the kid is going to revolt and say, I'm not your doll. I'm not a plaything. I'm not a puppy. <laughs> yeah. Like I am free. I can choose. And, and so then, you know, you get these tensions building up and then we break. Mm. And that's why I want to talk about forgiveness and repentance on both sides. I think one of the most um, profound things a parent can do to a child is ask 
for forgiveness. Mm, absolutely. When they have caused like true injustice to their child. That doesn't mean you're never disciplining your child. Like to discipline a child, to tell them when they're doing something that's wrong is wrong. That's good parenting. You know, uh, you don't let your kids run around doing whatever the heck they want. Right. But when you truly do um, sin against your children, ask forgiveness because then you're actually teaching your children how to ask for forgiveness, acknowledge fault, but then re-enter into a communion of love and a unity. Um, and this we talk about, you know, the, the forgive your enemies, love your enemies. Uh, but we also talk about the unity of the Father and the Son. Mm. And so the unity of the family, uh, that's, that's such a school that allows the Christian life to flow. And, and if we're not doing that, I don't know where else, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, where else you're going to begin. Yeah, that, that's often what I have preached about on Holy Family Sunday, the Feast of the Holy Family, which this year was on a Friday, actually, <laughs> uh, since Christmas fell on a Sunday. Um, but the Feast of the Holy Family, right? Families are meant to be holy. Uh, one of the, the honest experiences of family life, though, it's the first place we learn how to love, but painfully, it's the first place we learn to forgive. Uh, when parents wrong us, we have to learn to forgive them. Uh, hopefully, parents are asking forgiveness for the times that they yeah. wrong. Um, but but going back a little bit here, Jacob, of, okay, so the question, how do I get my son to become a priest? Um, it seems to me that that's just a, a bad question then to ask. It shouldn't be, how do I get my son to be a priest? How do I get my children, my son, my daughter, to become holy and to yeah. go to heaven? And if that means priesthood, great. If that means religious life, great. Um, but I think that might not be the best question. Maybe the better question is, um, how do I get my son or daughter to be a Christian for the rest of their life? Uh, but then the second question then, and maybe we, you can speak on this now, Jacob, is how do I get my son or daughter to be open to a, a, a religious vocation? Yeah. I think that's the better question. Um, because now, now we're looking at our children not as a project that I'm going to kind of impose my desire for them to be a priest or a nun or a doctor or whatever. I am now entering into this kind of co-working with God in helping form uh, this new destiny Mm. in this child who has been received as a gift. Um, And so that transforms how we treat children, how we welcome children into the world, uh, how we even desire children. Like, do I think I have a right to children when I get married or do I actually receive them as a gift? Because you don't have a right to children. It's a great gift you receive that God entrusts you with. Um, and, and so when a child comes, I'm now open to their destiny. And just as I've made a vow to my husband or my wife of um, loving them through sickness, through health, and good times and in bad, when a child is welcomed into the family, out of this love, out of this generative, creative love of the parents, the child now might have sickness, might have health, Mm. might have good times, might have bad times. Um, The child might stray and come back. The child, who knows? And so now persevering with the child in the same like commitment of till death do we part um, is really open to the destiny of this child, right? Mm. And so with that framework, we're trying to encourage an openness to vocation because truly accepting a vocation that you are called to will fulfill you, Mm -hmm. 
will satisfy you, will be that experience of, of course I was made to be this. But it's because I've now discovered it. And so we're helping our children discover their vocation. A big thing that uh, to be open to a vocation is to know that they're a reality. So it's not forcing your son to uh, be a priest by, you know, inviting priests over or seminarians over or, you know, saying like, hey, you know, priesthood's an option. Um, being open to that mm-hmm. is is one way. And, and it can go other ways because I, I do know some families um, where, like, child wants to become a priest and that's really hard for the family so there's some who's like i want my son to be a priest how do i make get him to be a priest and then others like my son wants to be a priest and i don't know if i want him to be because i want to see my children's children Mm. (laughs) you know and your son who's a priest isn't going to have children so maybe i'm not going to have my children's children so there can be struggles either way Mm -hmm. um but to be open to that that new fulfillment that new destiny is to know that that's even a possibility right Mm. and so it's great yeah invite your priest over, um, you know, encourage, encourage your sons to serve at mass, uh, to get to know the priest. Um, just having it, uh, you know, be, meeting seminarians for me, you know, when, when I was 12, 13, 14, 15, seminarians are coming over. Um, I mean, Father Mike, Father John, <laughs> Father Matt, yeah. um, all these guys. Whose initiative was that? Was that kind of your mom's initiative, your yeah. dad's initiative? Yeah, um, my mom, there were a couple priests that were assigned at St. Vincent de Paul. My mom was teaching one of the religious education classes. I was in my confirmation prep classes, and these two seminarians, uh, Father Henry and Mauricio, um, were assigned there. And one day it was snowing. And I mean, it's not far from St. Vincent de Paul to the seminary, but mm-hmm. my mom's like, well, we'll drop you off on our way home. So we drove him in, and as we're hanging out there, my mom was just like, hey, you know, I'd love to have you guys over for dinner sometime. So we set that up. Uh, they came over for dinner. Um, I think they invited him a little bit later, and Father Matt came with them, and then my mom invited Father Matt, who brought Father Mike Rapp, and then the rest is history. Um, <laughs> but we had, we had you know, priests come, or seminarians coming over for, for dinner after that point, and we were in a lucky position where we lived close enough to the seminary. Um, we were at a parish where seminarians were assigned and these seminarians had the availability um, because not, that's not always the case. Mm-hmm. And, and a priest has limited space and time. And I think, you know, I, I want to honor the reality that some listeners might really desire that um, to have a priest or seminarian be able to come over more regularly. Um, and it's for whatever reason, it's actually really hard. Mm-hmm. So there's no, there's no guarantee of that being possible. Um, but at the same time, like one of the things I'm really enjoying serving at Our Lady of Lords is getting to know the guys that serve mm-hmm. and hopefully being a good example and like, hey, this guy is normal and he's about to be a deacon and then he's going to be a priest. Did they say you're normal? Probably not. <laughs> I Just think I'm teasing. normal. Uh, no, you're normal. But, but having that experience of these guys, like actually talking to them. I've had conversations about these guys talking about totally. the option or the possibility of being a priest. So in these eight, nine, 10, 12, 15 year old kids, there's the possibility. Mm-hmm. And, and because there's the possibility, if they're really called, um, they can say, Oh, I can actually see that. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's bigger than like, you know, every night praying with your child that they be a priest out loud. That just seems kind of like, you know, I don't, I don't want to, it seems kind of weird. Um, but like, Oh, praying that we may 
I love I love the prayer we pray with the servers before mm-hmm. uh, mass at Our Lady of Lords here. It ends that we may come to know our vocations, right? That we that we may come to know how God wants us to live our lives. Mm-hmm. That's our prayer, you know. Yeah. And that's I think that's the prayer of the children for their parents, and and hopefully the children can start to take on themselves. Yeah, yeah. Freedom is so important, right? There's a freedom that we need. God loves our freedom more than any of us love our own freedom. And it's so important to remember, like <clears throat> to your point, Jacob, of parents trying to make the, their kids their project, God loves their freedom more than their own parents love the freedom of their children, right? Yeah. God gives us freedom. He wants us to choose. And so the question then is, <clears throat> how do I uh, expose or, or how do I allow my children to have an openness to the possibility of a religious vocation? And I think you touched on exposure exposure to different priests, different religious orders, different people like that. That's a start. Uh, but uh, one thing I would like to uh, maybe challenge people on as well, and and just thinking about like New Year's resolutions, right? Make some New Year's resolutions, right? Of, of how you can maybe grow in this this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think when religion and Sunday mass becomes just a, a checking the box. Yeah, or another chore. Another chore, checking the box, another chore. And I just go as I am, right? When I was when I was growing up, we used to go to mass in like my soccer uniform, my baseball uniform, because that was the parish I kind of grew up at, and that was kind of acceptable and normal. But one of the things I love uh, about parishes that kind of have a more higher standard of there's a culture of no, you dress up for mass, and it doesn't have to be you know a suit and tie. Like there's cultural cultural uh, elements here of mm-hmm. Colorado is pretty casual, uh, business casual. Okay, fine. Uh, but you know, wear, wear something nice and teach your kids to wear something nice and don't just run off to, uh, watching the next sport or, um, turning on the TV as soon as you get home, like make Sunday special. And then the, the, the children, I think begin to learn like, Oh, Sunday's different. Mm-hmm. This is a day for God, a day for family, a day for prayer, a day in which, you know, I see and experience these different things. And then as you're exposed to these uh, different um, elements to the vocation, to the the consecrated life, I think young boys and, and hopefully girls as well uh, begin to see, oh, there's something powerful here. And maybe I am called to be a priest. Maybe maybe that is a possibility for me. Yeah. But very clearly uh, to challenge parents, like this can't be forced, right? You can't force it on your children. Uh, give them the exposure to be open. But again, the biggest question and the biggest way that you want your children to be successful, of course, is to go to heaven, which means uh, how can you expose them into a healthy reality of, of you know, how, how do you form them to be good, virtuous humans so that they can be holy in this life and then happy yeah. in the next life as well? Because I think uh, there you've got especially children at different ages, you're going to engage them differently. You were telling me a story a couple of days ago about a family that like mom wanted to go to mass and the three-year-old says, no, I hate mass. I don't want to go. Yep. And, and I thought this mom's response was wonderful, like so clever and beautiful um, where she just says, okay, well, mom loves mass. So we're going to go and I need you to go with me. And then it wasn't like, no, you need to love mass and you're coming and you're going to learn to love it. It was like, mm-hmm. Mom loves mass. I, I understand, I think, but like, so we're going to go because mom really likes this. Um, yeah, you can't reason with a and three-year-old. It's a three-year-old, right? right. Now, a seven, eight-year-old, there's going to be a little bit more reason and you can start to have some, some conversations. And in my experience, the seven, eight-year-olds, 
they they're really at that age of reason, but it's such a literal reason. Um, they're like, I get these great questions, you know, this one, uh, one of my friends, their daughter, she was like getting ready for first communion and excited about it. But she's like, is the host crunchy because of Jesus's bones? <laughs> and what I love about that question is she's heard and received in faith that the host is really Jesus. He's really present body, blood, soul, and divinity. And so she's trying to sort through what that means. She's taken that. She's received that. And now she's trying to like, okay, does that? <laughs> and, and those are hard questions and maybe don't have super great answers. Sure. But they're, they're approaching it. And so to like engage their brain takes to, to understand that like I think kids can, can receive a lot more than we, uh, we sometimes think they can uh, as far as truths of the faith. Um, but then you get into high school, right? And teenage years you know, kids are going to start pushing back. They're reestablishing their own autonomy again. Toddlers and then your teenage years is times of autonomy. And so there's kind of just developmentally pushback to establish uh, individual identity, um, which is part of our development. And that's not a bad thing there. So then how we interact with those uh, those kids, especially when they're saying, like, I hate this, this is boring, I don't want to do this. Hopefully we've encouraged up to that point um, a desire. And I love that we've got high schoolers coming to serve, but same time there's oh man my friends aren't doing this am i weird you know mm-hmm. so how do we journey with our kids through those each of those phases um encourage it and then and then when they really aren't into it how do we how do we continue our faithfulness as a family without demanding it in such a way that as soon as as soon as the child gets out of the house and is off to college it's like well i'm out mm. I don't have to go anymore. I only went because mom and dad were telling me to. And so I don't have a solution to that problem. I really don't. But I do know that um, God risked human freedom when he created man and woman in his image and likeness from the beginning. And we immediately messed it up. (laughs) You know, that's original sin. Well, Every single new human being is created in the image, likeness of God. And um, somebody's going to call me on that. <laughs> uh, if it were in the image and likeness or just the image or likeness. But um, likeness through grace, I think, right? Mm. So in baptism, we, we received the likeness that we lost in, in the original sin. But we're created, and God risks our freedom every single time a new human being comes into the world. Mm -hmm. And because the child is received as gift by the parents, as co-creators, procreating with God, we participate in our children, in God's risk of our children's freedom, right? And so our children will choose. And eventually, they become adults, and I can't exert my will over them, um, that's participating in God. And now you see how God loves each of us when we're wayward, mm-hmm. desiring us to return, working for us to return, but never abandoning us, right? And, uh, and I think if we can maintain this perspective, um, we're getting a bit of field of like <laughs> the, the original question. Sure. But I think that's, that's a spirit where, where a family can now... Um, Welcome back, the prodigal son Absolutely. or daughter. You know? And you bring up a good point with that too, Jacob, that God's love for each of us is so particular. 
so particular, right? I remember praying in uh, Eucharistic adoration once, making a holy hour. And I don't remember who said this, where I was, but um, afterwards we were just kind of sharing what was your experience life. And someone said, this very clearly, like, this is the same God we're all looking at. This is Jesus Christ, body, blood, soul, and divinity that we're looking at, we're gazing upon. He's gazing upon us. But yet we all have unique experiences because God's love for each one of us is so particular and so unique. Which means because we're unique, we all have our own unique personalities. You know, some of us rebel, some of us don't rebel. Uh, We all have our own kind of stories, our life stories. And um, that means as you raise your children, you have to discern individually what's best for for each of them. It's not a one fit mold. So uh, for this person, exposure to vocations might be great. For this one, uh, just winning the battle, hopefully to get them to go to mass might be great without, you know, trying to overly force it down their throats. But you have to discern what's going to be best for your child. Uh, What I think is going to be ultimately best to give them that, you know, hope for um, vocation, hope for holiness, hope for growth, et cetera, is to to form good communities around you, right? And um, there's no kind of science behind homeschooling versus this type of school versus that type of school. But to me, what seems to be the best way for children to be open to the faith as they continue to age and grow is what's their community like around them. And that's both at the parish, that's both at school, that's both at home, that's both friend groups, et cetera. If they have good friends, like, right, we want to surround ourselves with like-minded people, but we often become our friends. We become like our friends. Oh, I want to be like that person because he's funny. So I start imitating him, right? Um, We all do this. Find good fr- friend groups, uh, find good parishes that you can uh, help build up and help have good community so that your kids can see, oh, these people go to mass every Sunday. Oh, we're, of course we're supposed to go to mass every Sunday. You know, it's just like it fits, it clicks. Yeah. And the, um, <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a product of public school, homeschool, and Catholic school. So You got it I've, all. I've got it all, so that means I'm the most well-rounded. <laughs> no. Um, yeah, there were different times for different reasons that, you know, I, I was in those different areas and I, they were all good for me in some ways and probably bad for me in others uh, that I don't even know. Mm. Um, so yeah, there's not a, there's not a silver bullet solution. Um, but I think the other thing for parents to know, and, and you and I can both attest to this, is there was a time where my discipleship in the Christian life had to um, have somebody outside of the family. Mm-hmm. And this bears out, you, you know, look down the history of the church. I'm thinking of St. Augustine, you know, Monica wants Augustine to come in, you know, he's, <laughs> and it took Ambrose to get Augustine in, right? Yep. And so for me, I, I had, you know, teachers and um, some, you know, kind of recent college grads that were taking the Catholic faith seriously when I was in high school. They're around me that invited me into Bible studies or just kind of showed the reasonableness of the faith. So these guys that in my mind were talented, intelligent, like, you know, um, successful men were also Catholic. And so for me, that was a learning of, okay, this wasn't just my family thing, but other people also believe this and hold it to be true and, and they're cool or normal or intelligent or whatever it is. And now, okay, I'm building further trust. Um, Because we do, at some point, look out to our side, to our friends, to our society and say, is what I'm doing reasonable or okay? 
And so we can do that with our faith too. And so um, if we're only ever closed in on our family, as long as we're there, maybe everybody is super faithful. But as soon as we're outside of that, and I was never able to kind of see outside of that how other people were engaging the faith and it being rational and reasonable, now I get out, and if my environment is entirely hostile to faith, mm-hmm. whether it's at XYZ University or high school or whatever, and I'm finally out, yeah, I will start to say, oh, that was a weird thing my family did, and it's clearly nobody believes that. So we do need to have a, an openness within the faith of like seeing other families living it, and that doesn't mean living it exactly the same way as us. Mm-hmm. But that other families are living it, and that the other children see, oh, there's other kids, there's other, you know, um, an openness, and then kind of the mentor, the having a mentor in the faith. Uh, so luckily, I had, you know, I had guys that were able to do that, and I know at Cabrini, you had the same experience, and mm-hmm. and that's what kind of moved me then to have a personal devotional life mm. uh, that took it on as my own, yep. not as. Um, just a group or cultural thing because you can see that depending on culture if there's cultural catholicism um you can go do the culturally catholic stuff when you're there but outside of that it's kind of uh, Mm -hmm. uh, indifferent to your life yeah yeah no i think well said and maybe that's a good stopping point and maybe maybe just conclude with right again parents uh we we like to control things but at the end of the day we have to respect the freedom of our children and we hope for mentors to the, to come uh, pray for mentors, but it can't be forced. Um, And so maybe the last point to kind of close on this is we're called to intercede, right? This is what Mary does for Jesus. Now, of course, Jesus technically doesn't need (laughs) intercession because he's uh, he's God, but this is the heart of the mother. uh, One of intercession. Yeah. I love that too. Mary's pondering these things in her heart. Mm. So like seeing your children, and, and pondering those, like, God, what are you doing here? Pondering them, as opposed to like, how do I fix the problem? Correct. But, but like seeing and pondering mm-hmm. uh, is, a, is a posture of intercession. Yep. And this is Monica with Augustine. Like, Monica had to allow Augustine to go astray for all those years, but she just sat and wept and interceded. God, I beg you, bring my son back. I beg yeah. you. And eventually God hears, you know, the, the cries and the tears of the poor. So uh, remain faithful to the Lord. And uh, continue to intercede, allow the freedom of, of children and of friends to play out, but ultimately entrust and surrender and intercede for them, give them to the Lord. And, you know, of course, God, we pray that you would raise up more men and women to respond generously to the call, to, to reach for those ribbons hanging from heaven and to say, I want to follow yeah. the Lord in a radical life. Yeah, and I really believe in the effectiveness of the baptismal promise. I believe that God did something in baptism. I believe that he made a promise to us. I think God's faithful to his promise. So keep interceding. Um, That grace is there. That grace works. Uh, If your child is astray, uh, is away from the faith, um, take heart, pray, intercede. Um, And yeah, I'm not a prophet. I can't say how your particular situation is going to run out, but I do believe God works. Uh, in in that baptismal grace and that promise, um, and so I take consolation in that. And then, secondly, um, if anybody's listening to this and feeling like, oh, what are these two celibate guys hmm. doing, talking about family life? They have no idea about it. Um, you're probably right about me, 
But Father Sean's been hearing confessions for two years, and so he knows like all sides of family life and family strife. Um, so you can you can trust <laughs> uh, in some of his insights here, right? And but what I also hope you didn't feel was accusation that you weren't parenting well or that you're failing in this way. I I don't want to give that impression whatsoever. What you're doing is heroic and like creating the space to get to mass. Like sometimes you're just frustrated. You're like, would you just get in the car seat, Mm -hmm. you know? And like your temper might flare up and, and you're like, man, that came across as like, you better get to mass because we're going to do it. Dang it. And, but that's what I'm talking about. The, the repentance, the forgiveness, the love that can come out of that, that that could actually maybe be a stronger thing in in the long run to then apologize for the way you acted and then Mm. maybe enter into deeper love and, and commitment with in between your child. Um, that they might start to want to come help, you know, get the other kids into the car or what it may be. And you know what? Sometimes you got, you know, everybody in the car and everybody's a little disheveled and yeah, you're not all in your, you know, perfect Sunday best and you stumble into mass 10 minutes late because that's when you could get people in the car. God Mm -hmm. bless you. Thank you. Thank you for coming. Thank you for still coming. You know, um, when you haven't really prayed with the Eucharistic prayers because your kids have been squirming in the pews for the last six years, <laughs> thank you for coming. God blesses that. God smiles on that. God delights in that. Like, you are doing well. So I don't want you to think you're failing um, in those ways. But I do want to say uh, your child is not your project to enforce your will, but a gift to enter into their destiny with them in a, in a posture of, like, uh, wonder. And then to just in your own life and the life of your family foster forgiveness and and asking for and for and giving forgiveness um, to to foster greater relationship openness conversation and love. So that's my my close. Great mic drop. Well done, Jacob. <laughs> thanks for your insights and yeah, thanks for your generosity. We're excited to have you join the clerical state and become a deacon and with rights and responsibilities that's right i get to like take all your baptisms well father brian's baptisms that's right the pastor pastor. has the right to baptize and he can share that with the others that's right (laughs) awesome we'll keep praying for us uh pray for jacob as it gets ordained pray for um, children and pray that god would continue to raise up men and women holy men and women to strive after him and the the life of consecration so awesome shout outs Shout outs. Do you want to go first or do you want me to go first? I'll go first. I want to shout out Carrie Floyd. We went to the DU That's game. That's funny. I was going to shout her <laughs> out too. <laughs> too bad. That's why I went first. Uh, she sang with the chorale uh, that she's a part of. It sounded great singing the national anthem. She came and joined us to watch the game and uh, she <laughs> shared with me. We talked, I, I can't remember who, I think it was Father John. We talked about Y2K and, and everything and she's like, you know, like Y2K actually there would have been disasters if we hadn't taken steps to fix the computers that only had the two years date, you know, that so when 99 rolls over to 00, zero without the 19 or the 20 in front of it, computers aren't going to know what's going on. Her parents actually were on, uh, like, different projects to fix these computers. Wow. Her mom was going to all these different companies and government things and fixing computers so that they'd actually roll over properly. Uh, so well, thank you, Mrs. Floyd. Thank you for your information and correcting my probable flippancy towards Y2K, as I am probably overly flippant to many things. So thank you, Carrie Floyd. Shout out. Your awesome. Turn. I would like to shout out Danielle Kuhn and Ellis Kuhn. Uh, Danielle was the, <clears throat> she, she still works at 
John the Baptist in Longmont, uh, she used to be the youth minister, but now she's like director of adult formation or something like that. I, I can't remember. But anyways, thanks for listening to the podcast. Thanks for uh, sharing some of your thoughts and um, for having kids and being holy and raising your kids in the faith. So, I also want to shout out all the servers here at Our Lady of Lords. You guys are great. I'm not going to try and list you all because I'll forget one or two of you and then you'll be angry. But all the servers at Our Lady of Lords, you've been great to work with. That's right. we got some great servers here. So... Uh, Catholic stuff podcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Uh, if you'd like to, to message us, feel free to do so. Uh, Catholic stuff podcast at gmail.com. Social media, Instagram, Facebook, text. <laughs> Jacob's phone number is 72. No, I'm just kidding. Nope, you're wrong. I'm a 303. All right. Well, thanks for listening, everyone. God bless you. Take care.